It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A predominantly soggy Portugal saw MotoGP action return to the Algarve track. And come race day, it was dry. And it was Fabio Quattararo, the reigning champion, who took his first win of the season. But drama in the closing stages with two podium contenders taken out sees us with well a fair bit to talk about plus moto 2 moto 3 and a bit of world superbike action as well i know you've been calling for it in the comments so we're going to have that covered for you uh, at least in this show too the recording date is monday the 25th of april my name is harry benjamin alongside me as ever is crashes moto gp editor pete mclaren and former grand prix rider and british champion keith hewin well where to start, really, Keith? Um, should we start at the top with Fabio Quattararo? We were really, you know, talking last week about he's going to be looking at different places. He can't continue at Yamaha. Honda was an opportunity. And it certainly, the weekend started off not in a good place for Fabio or Yamaha. But at the end, they seem to have found something. And away he went into quite a bit of a dominant win. Why is it I get the feeling this is the week I get the sack? for things I say, because it <laughs> feels that way. Um, I mean, honestly, I said it on Twitter earlier on in, in the weekend that um, Fabio Quattararo basically is the Mark Marquez of Yamaha. Without Fabio Quattararo, Yamaha would be in the deepest doo-doo. They're just not performing any with anyone else, in the hands of anyone else. It's Quattararo who's cutting the mustard every time. For whatever the reason, he manages to make that package work when it's possible to make it work just like Marquez used to do with Honda. I mean, there was no one else that really could consistently get the kind of results that, that Mark did on the Honda. And pretty much it's still the same, of course, but the Honda are just a little bit at sea at the moment. I mean, what a year. We've had 10 different podium finishes. That's more than anybody in Moto3 or Moto2. Quattararo, he's good round there. It sorts Portimao. They've got maybe the fact that the bike hasn't changed at all suited the fact they've got no data. They only had one dry session, which was the warm-up session on the Sunday morning where it was really cold. Everything else had been wet and miserable and patchy and, and dodgy. So the fact was that Yamaha, by virtue of the fact it hadn't changed that much, they got the same tyres on as they had last year, I think. Um, so data-wise, they got everything they needed. And the fact there was no changes to the Yamaha, maybe that was an advantage for, for Quattararo. Um, that kind of analysis, of course, is not available to any of us journalistic types, so we'll never actually know whether that's the truth or not. Um, but carnage in, in qualifying, very, very difficult qualifying indeed to, to make it work for you. Suzuki's looking good again. I mean, that start that Mir got off the line was just superb. Um, really thought that, you know, those two world champions were going to go head to head. We all thought the Suzuki would be the bike that was coming together towards the end of the race because it used to look after its tyres really well. But everything's turned on its head a little bit now. And it seems like that's the case across all the, the, the manufacturers now. They seem to have, have dialed in those tyres and the settings they need to make them work. But but a great ride from Quattararo. You know, on the day that, you know, the racing managing director had his 400th race, Quattararo absolutely dug him out of a massive great hole. Lynn Jarvis, I've never seen Lynn Jarvis with a bigger grin on his face because basically, you know, his job and the factory's jobs must have looked just a little bit tenuous over the last few months with the way that they haven't made any progress. But yet on his 400th Grand Prix, for Lynn Jarvis, the managing director of racing, they get a win from nowhere. You know, brilliant. Quattararo was imperious. There was no one that could get near him. And he didn't look like he was going to make a mistake anywhere either. What a racetrack, Portugal, though, eh? I mean, just to, to divert slightly, 
flyby, brilliant national anthem on the grid, despite the weather and all the rest of it. Okay, only what, 44,000 people or something at trackside. You know, perhaps that's not so many as you might expect. Um, but Portugal put on a real show despite the weather. You said it all there, Keith, I think. But yeah, just to underline, what a what a ride by Quattararo, wasn't it? I mean, the next best Yamaha, not even in the top 10, Dovizioso, 29 seconds. I mean, it just does just show how much Yamaha do need Quattararo. He's grabbing every opportunity, isn't he? We saw him happy with seventh place in Kota. You know, and, it, and he was saying, look, I'm doing everything. I'm getting everything I can out of the bike. This track didn't have the big, long straights, did it, where this top speed is really hurting him. And he was able to do a bit more and you know get every just take every chance wasn't it those treacherous conditions on saturday rins we saw fantastic ride but but his race chance of victory was gone on saturday with those qualifying so far back banyaya at the back of the grid bastianini at the back of the grid maybe they could have made a race of it but not starting back there so who knows but quattararo faultless under all of those difficult conditions all that pressure so yeah really really brilliant ride from him and uh, you know he was asked does this make your decision easier for next year and he said no so you know he's certainly i think he wants to see that there are going to be some major changes to this yamaha there was a bit of discussion during the weekend dobby saying look this bike needs grip it needs rear grip dobby of course has ridden the aprilia and the ducati recently quattro is saying look i need power if you get if you gave me that time that i was losing on the straights in kota i'd have been in the victory fight so slightly different priorities there but as dovi was quite openly saying fabio is the only guy that can ride this bike at the moment and sunday was just another illustration of that so many things pete you've just brought up there that i'm, 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 I'm like this trying to get in i was i felt like i was trying to drop the clutch at the time you know, like, <laughs> you know the yamaha isn't the fastest thing in the straight line huh but it still had the beating of the Suzuki down the front straight because it seemed to have rear grip coming out of that final corner. Hang on a minute. What is this conundrum we're talking about here? This is the thing that everyone else is complaining about. But, but Quattararo manages to find the kind of grip that gets him alongside the Suzuki and perhaps a little few mile an hour faster than Suzuki in a straight line. And the Suzuki now is a bit quicker than the, the, Honda, the MR in most places. I mean, the whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. It's Quattararo is able to somehow on this day, get the best out of that motorbike. And we've heard about the rear grip problem. Uh, why? You know, what's what's the, what's the difference? What's Quattararo doing that Dovi can't do? And there's a really, really skilled man. We're talking about a guy that has got just acres of experience with, with every single different type of motorbike there is. So I don't understand what the, what the problem is. Morbidelli just doesn't seem to be the Morbidelli of past at the moment. Uh, whether that's because he still has, carries a slight injury, whether that's because he's not prepared to put his you know, neck on the line when he's not got a bike doing exactly what he wants it to do. And that's what, I have to say, intelligent riders, and he is one, and so is Dobby, it's what you tend to find is they will not ride that final little bit, that final bit of commitment, if the bike isn't as they want it to be, if they cannot find that bit that they want to make them uh, move forward. Um, and maybe that's why we're not seeing the best out of the Vizioso and Morbidelli. They're, they're too clever to help hurt themselves, perhaps, by chucking it on the line. But Quattararo doesn't look like he's putting anything on the line. He just looks fast everywhere. He doesn't look wild at all. He, you know, there was no one could get near him. You know, it was just a brilliant, brilliant ride. Did we have him in our sweepstakes, by the way? Who, who, who well, did we? Well, 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 Keith, you put him for the win. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether you're playing blissful ignorance there. No, I, I have honestly. I had, to, I could, I had you know, to do a double take when I looked at where we predicted, and I went. <laughs> Oh my God, Keith actually predicted the winner. That's uh, I know yeah, I got third you place. Got the one point. I know I got third place. And you, oh my, yes, and you got third place. Yeah, I, oh, I, 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 I knew I've done I, you a disservice I knew there. Yeah, and unfortunately, Pete zero on the board, <laughs> nothing. And me, once again, it's not really a shocker. I got nothing either. If only you know, Rins. Well, I got Rins and Mir. I had faith in the Suzukis, but well, you know, Keith. Keith has now taken a step ahead in, that in was, standings. The, the Suzuki thing was a really good shout. I mean, I, I have to say that Mia looked, you know, like that's great start. But, you know, he looked the quality that we know he is, but again, not quite a podium this time around. But um, the Suzukis are there or thereabouts. Going to Hareth, it's going to be great the next round as well. This weekend, we ain't got long to wait, have we? So, um, it's, uh, it's, I mean, you said it on your Twitter, uh, uh, Keith, I think, you know, we didn't, we never think each season can get any better than the oh. previous and it just does doesn't it and you just it's a shame it's a, sh it's a shame it. for Bagnaia though I mean Bagnaia is is for me the, the, the you know 
Rins was a, Rins was the ride of the day in my view. Came from twenty third on the grid. You know, Rins rode brilliantly. Um, Bagnaya, he ain't going to catch a break this year, is he? It's going to be one of them unlucky years at the end of the day. And 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 I think that Bagnaya, you know, great expectations. It couldn't gone. It couldn't have gone more flatter or hurt him more. I mean, he took another great beat. You know, to start off the back of the grid. You know, he did well to score points, but but Rins was my man of the match this weekend. That's for sure. Well, well, uh, let's let's come on to uh, some of the Ducati riders, shall we? But just you know, picking up on what you said there about Fabio Quattararo as well. If you uh, want to check out more on the Crash MotoGP YouTube channel, uh, Jordan has put up a, a video about you know is is indeed as we're discussing now Quattararo uh, to Yamaha what Mark Marquez is uh, to Honda. So uh, that is one to check out as well. Make sure you subscribe to the channel and you can see all of our podcast videos as well. Um, Ducati. Now, you mentioned Bagnaia there. Obviously, he had a big crash in uh, Q1, wasn't it, as the track conditions were changing. I want to talk about Jack Miller as well. Looked incredibly fast. Unfortunately, that big crash which took out Joan Mir and himself in the battle for the podium was a hefty crash, a hefty fall for Miller as well. And and he held his hands up, apologised, Keith, but it, it, not a good day at the office for Jack I'm, Miller. I'm really surprised he didn't get some penalty. Um, mm. To be honest, I mean, he caused another rider to crash. Um, you know, when you let the brakes, if you, if the end of that straight is really, really tricky on a MotoGP bike because if the thing ain't settled, you, you, you've gone over that hump, you're in the braking area, going downhill. You know, and we know that the Suzuki's pretty, pretty nimble on the front end. And to, to he committed himself to the inside line. You know, he either had to squeeze a harder or run them both, both out wide. Um, taking out Mir. You know, Jack is not an unsafe rider, so I can't say that it's, it's you know, if it had been Darren Binder, bless him, or somebody like that, you might have expected that kind of manoeuvre, perhaps, but, or even his brother Brad, but, you know, like Jack taking him out like that. But I'm actually surprised that he didn't get a penalty for that. You know, he, he caused another rider to crash, rammed it up the inside, lost it, wiped him out. I mean, they've had form on this before, haven't they, those two? I mean, I'm, a, I'm slightly surprised they're, they're still friendly. And Jack did the right thing. He went down to the garage and, and it, you know, Suzuki being a very, very reasonable garage, it, it kind of had that um, Valentino Rossi, Mark Marquez thing from the past where your, um, your ambition, your talent was outweighed by your ambition, something along those lines, wasn't it? The Stoner versus um, Rossi, when Rossi wiped out Stoner um, in the wet. I seem to remember. And I think Jack, it was just a yard too deep. But once you're committed there at that kind of speed, downhill into a into that kind of corner, I mean, racing incident, it was called and no penalties, but he still caused another rider, a contender, to crash. Um, and that really is going to weigh both heavily on both their minds, both on Jack's for doing it and for Mia having lost an opportunity in Portugal. It also highlighted, didn't it, the, the straight line speed of the Suzuki. You think a, a Ducati that has to rely on the brakes and, and, and braking at the last minute to try and get by Mir. You've got to imagine last year, he'd have, he'd have blasted by him long before the turn one, wouldn't he? And he, he, had, he did have a few previous looks at trying to get by him. It was obviously difficult for Jack to actually make that move, which again is a, is a you know praise to the Suzuki engineers again on the straights. Just on Mia, you know, he was actually after the race. He was sort of more disappointed by his lack of performance, as he as he sort of called it, with the front of the bike. He, he said from the very first laps, the front tire was moving around, moving around, moving around, and he knew he was in trouble. I mean, you know, he he actually said that if he didn't fall off, then he might well have fallen off later anyway, because he was so on the limit with the front of the bike, which he didn't expect. Completely unexpected issue, and uh, again, it just goes to show, as Keith was saying earlier, the Suzuki we've known as a bike that gets stronger as the race goes on and, and is really good with its tires. And, and every ne we've seen it a few times this year and, and you think it's come back again. And then suddenly you get a race like Sunday where for Mia, he was struggling right from the off with this with, with the front tire, not the rear tire. But on the other hand, you've got Rins who, who makes that incredible comeback. Um, you, you know, so I think with a lot of bikes and of course the Hondas as well, we're seeing a lot of bikes, they still seem to be a long way off actually understanding the package they've got this year. And maybe as Keith says, with this Yamaha, not really changed so much in these in these difficult conditions that helps you bastianini was also 
he had a sore wrist after that the, the fall that you mentioned Harry in qualifying but he was making his way through he got stuck behind Paul Espargaro for, for a few laps I think that frustrated him a bit got by him and then sort of tried to make up the gap a bit too soon fell off so first mistake this year but he still was he's only eight points off the top so he's still in there but certainly that was a a missed opportunity for a, for a great comeback for him as well so yeah it, a, a difficult one this is Mia another one of these riders without a podium now going to Jerez I mean who would have thought that uh, Marquez as well Banyaya as well as he says I mean what a what a season for Banyaya so far who would have imagined after the end of last year he'd be facing this but as he said he's keeping faith in terms of the championship he said look I was 60 points from Quattararo with I think six races to go last year or something like that so he said basically a bigger margin than he is behind now mm. from the top Quattararo having of course now taken the lead um, equal on points with with Rins but having had that one Rins so Quattararo is now on top of the table for the first time this year You mentioned Polis Bargaro glad you mentioned him who else was shouting at the screen telling him to get up and get out the way when he fell off in qualifying right on the final corner when Mark Marquez was about to set pole I mean it doesn't matter whether you're a Mark Marquez fan or not but the fact was that while Pole was having a, a moment of depression in his hands on the floor on his hands and knees there are other riders who needed to get times in. If he cleared off out of the track in time, there would have been a lot of riders who would have scored better um, qualifying positions. That does annoy me when riders do that. Yeah, go and have your tantrum, but have it behind the bloody barrier, not not on the track where it's mucking everybody else about. The longer you sit in a gravel trap, the, the more the yellow flag is out and the more everyone else that goes past loses their lap, as did Mark Marquez. So I suppose there was some kind of poetic justice there that reps old paid one way or another. I think Polis Bargro is turning out to be a massive disappointment on that Repsol Honda. Um, it just isn't working at all. And even with, you know, I did quite like the Marquez v Marquez battle as well. I thought Alex Marquez versus Mark Marquez, two Hondas uh, doing 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 battle around there together, the two brothers, um, the superstar coming out on top in the end. But uh, he had to push it to get, get around his brother and get that position though, didn't he? Which was quite good fun. There's a lot to shout at at that screen. There really was. There <laughs> My neighbours, I, I think, they're looking, though, I think I'm going to see a for sale board on their house in a week or two's time. <laughs> but was it encouraging, though, that Mar Mar Marquez had this crash early on and was able to recover as well? His first big crash since since the big high side of Mandalika and able to, to get up and he said, look, you know, I hit my head, but I was able to carry on. That's, you know, positive signs. I'm going dizzy just watching him do it. You know, like, I feel like I've got an head injury just watching him. I mean, the guy is just, he ain't lacking commitment, is he? <laughs> That's a fact. No. <laughs> uh, Pete, let's uh, let's move on and, and talk about, uh, well, go back to Ducati, but the Pramac side of it, shall we? Because it was a strong weekend for um, Joanne Zarco in particular, taking uh, pole position in then his second podium of the season. Wasn't able to follow up with the win, though, but very much up there and fighting. Teammate Jorge Martin again another non-score and a crash out. So both sides of the garage experiencing up and downs, but uh, certainly a strong weekend for uh, my title pick from last year, um, Joanne Zarco. Yeah, and he, he's now fifth in the World Championship just behind Bastianini. So he, he's in contention now to be the top Ducati rider at the moment. So yeah, it was a... a it was a really it was a great ride by Zarco he didn't push it beyond the limits and he, he kept the pace going I think he realized he couldn't match Fabio I think that's that's pretty much what he said he so when he saw Mia that was his focus you know he, he focused on beating Mia as he saw Jack approaching catching them he made his move and then of course Jack tried to do the same and we, we know what happened there but yeah I think um you know a good ride by Zarco as you say pole position in those tricky conditions we know how talented he is in in that in that kind of that kind of riding and uh, yeah a solid race from him which is what he needs so because he you know he's another one of these guys like most of the grid still who don't have a deal for next year so he needs to impress and um you know he, he's doing that as you say Martin unfortunately we know he's fast we know he's got the speed but uh, yeah unfortunately DNF is not what he needs either. Zarco had the comment of the day, though, in Park Ferme, didn't he? He said, uh, I can't do the French accent, so I won't try to do it because I'll embarrass myself in <laughs> yeah, front of the whole nation. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> when he said, they didn't play the national anthem for me, but at least I could sing it. <laughs> Which absolutely cracked me up. <laughs> so there you go. He knows all the words to the French national anthem. That's a That's a bonus. He certainly does. Well, uh, at, as you say, at, at the end of uh, of the MotoGP race, at least it is now Fabio 
Quattararo, who, who leads the standings, uh, well, tied, really, with uh, Alex Rins on, on 69 points. But uh, due to count back and, and having a win, uh, goes to the top. It's interesting, though, isn't it? If anybody had just switched on and joined for this one race, not having seen the previous starts of the season and seeing Fabio Quattararo out on top, they would have gone, ah, oh, well, predictable, isn't it? Obviously, the reigning champion's going to be up there. The story couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, we'll come back to a bit of MotoGP talk in a moment. I would like to move on, though, to Moto2 as well, because there was a lot of carnage and action in that. It was Jake Dixon on pole, but sadly crashed out on lap one. That allowed, well, the American Joe Roberts to claim his first win, but it wasn't as straightforward as that, was it, Pete? It was a dominant victory in the end, but it was a restarted race after that huge incident, which it took out so many drivers that only 15 were registered as finishing at the end. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was so, yeah. <laughs> we should start. Let's rewind a bit. Moto2 was the last race of the day, wasn't it? We had this unusual schedule. So it went Moto3, MotoGP, Moto2. So Moto3 and MotoGP fully dry. And then these, these these clouds that have played a part all weekend sort of came in, but not as obvious as they came in on practice, where it was absolutely soaked, wasn't it? The track was flooded. This was more sort of a light rain, but it seems like it was raining, from what some of the riders said after the race, from about two or three laps in. Now, again, it was very light rain, and the race wasn't stopped. And this is where the controversy is. There's some riders, some teams, the Pons team in particular, who suffered the most there, because Aaron Connett was leading, and we saw... Connect high-sided, I think was it turn two, fast high side. And then just behind him, the other two guys as well, Cameron Bobier, Ayagura, all fell at the same time. And then it was just one bike after another following them into the gravel. Now, Connect unfortunately, has broken his arm. He's off for surgery. He's also broken the finger as well. So the others seem to have escaped largely unharmed. But yeah, for Connect, I mean, it's it's got big consequences for him. And, and I mean, he and his team were pretty clear the red flag should have come out sooner there really really tricky decision i mean I, I got asked so many times on on social media during the course of the weekend you know was it the right decision you can only make that kind of decision if you're on site i i always struggle to criticize anybody anywhere when we're this far away from it quite often if we're not at trackside we're not experiencing what they're experiencing the problem is when you've got a bit of mental rain a little bit on your visor perhaps a little bit on the screen it's making no difference particularly to track grip, but clearly on that corner at that time, it got a little bit more intense. And I think it just caught the stewards out, the, the race direction out. It should have, clearly there should have been a red flag a little earlier because, you know, it's carnage. Um, when everybody falls down in on mass like that, you know that they've got it wrong. But what they're trying to do is, it's the last race of the day, so they're not up against the usual television constraints. It's not, it's not like they've got all the kind of, restrictions that they've normally got got to get the motor gp race out at such and such a time rah 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 that's the main race of the day that was done so they had the time uh parameters to be able to stop the race but they made a conscious decision not to stop it because they didn't believe that the the, the slight mizzle if you like that slight drizzle that they were getting was going to affect the race but then of course it did so it ultimately was the wrong decision they should have stopped it earlier uh, championship contenders i mean i I look down here at the list of them. I mean, Ayagura, Tony Arbolino, Aaron Canet, obviously, Somkiat Chantra, you know, all these guys, Sam Lowe's, of course, as well. They're all non-starters back in it. Augusto Fernandez. These are these are some fairly big names that couldn't restart, that couldn't make the the five-minute gate that they've got to to bring the bike around the track. They've got to, got to continue around the track. They can't take a shortcut. If they can get it back to pit lane, within five minutes of the race being stopped, then they can restart in the restart. But of course, some took shortcuts, some bikes were damaged and some riders were as well. So it kind of ruled it out. But I think with hindsight, wrong decision, but I do understand what the race direction were trying to do. Um, and it wasn't the usual pressures that race direction are under to, to, to try and get a race done before it moves MotoGP as a, as a time slot. So unfortunate very unfortunate indeed there were a lot of um riders and, and teams who were uh, quite annoyed actually those who'd managed to get back to the garages and, and make repair works as well wanted to try and take the restarts do you think they should have been allowed well the rule's quite quite you know it's there in the rule book it's within five minutes or you you don't um and you haven't got to take short there were some people that brought bikes in the back of the garages that had assistance from marshals so on and so forth. I mean, 
you know, where'd you draw the line? I mean, huh. it's going to link us neatly to um, track limits in a minute when I get to this. I mean, <laughs> I hate that phrase rules are rules because I'm not the kind of person that likes rules are rules. That's, you know, like rules are there for twisting and finding a way around and all the rest of it in my book. That's, that's what, you know, that's what furthers developments. It's what furthers everything. You've got a rule book and you try to make the best out of it if you can. But this rule is is pretty strict. It's there as you know part of it. You have got to go via the track back to pit lane within five minutes of, of the red flag. So you know those that didn't make it didn't make it. It's fairly clear cut. It's always good to see Mike Trimby getting some exercise in pit lane. I've got to say, head of Erta, you only ever see him out there when there's a crisis. Big Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Well, rules are rules, and we uh, will shortly be discussing all sorts of rules in a moment. But let's uh, let's finish off uh, with Moto Three as well. Or oh, just to reiterate, so Moto Two, it was obviously the uh, the dominant win in the end by Joe Roberts ahead of a well, a lucky Celestino Vietti really was second, and Jorge Navarro uh, in third, leading the championship. Now is Sergio Garcia ahead of Dennis. Ford. Oh no, that sorry, that's Moto Three. Moto Two championship is Vietti ahead of Ayagura uh, and Tony Arbolino, uh, the top three in that championship. Four points, Harry. Thirty-four no, points. It's a big lead, isn't it? Mm, massive. I mean, Ayogura dipped out massively there as well. So Vietti, pretty lucky with that. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I, Joe Roberts, though, it's John Kaczynski since we last saw a bloody American um, in the middleweight class. I've got to say, you've got to go back a long time. I mean, were you born then, Harry? I can't remember. But no. I think it's about. I think it's about <laughs> eleven years. I think it's eleven years ago. So you might be twelve by now. Um, <laughs> Just about. <laughs> But the point being is that it's funny because Kenny Roberts made a comment in Cota that, oh, mate, that must have bloody been like someone being jabbed with a sharp stick when he was disappointed that Cameron Bobier and, and, and Roberts hadn't done more in Grand Prix. Um, I, I remember I watched it. It was the BT Sport comments that, that he also took the mickey out of me, of course, when uh, they were on about the amount of money we all got paid for the um, post-TT or whatever it was at Mallory Park. He got... I think he got 10 grand and I got 25 quid and he said we were both overpaid. <laughs> Good old Kenny. I love him. <laughs> it wasn't my first ever payday in motorbike racing. He is a little bit older than me. But anyway, um, but Kenny was quite, I thought, quite, wow, stern over Cameron Bobia. It's typical American, isn't it? No quarter given when it comes to the likes of Kenny Roberts. He is a hard, fast man you know take no prisoners and and his comment was quite sharp i thought that he expected more from from the americans and then one goes and wins the weekend after he said that which i find quite amusing so take that kenny one up the bum for you <laughs> well done joe roberts uh moto three uh before we come back to uh some moto gp and a uh, bit of world superbike action as well dennis Onchi was on pole but it was uh sergio garcia who took his second win of the season ahead of jama monsieur and ayumu Suzaki. a five-way battle really up at the front wasn't it pete until garcia sort of took control of it uh, in the latter stages good rides as well from uh, some of the young brits involved scott ogden uh, rubbing shoulders with some of the more regular riders so uh, good runs from them and John McPhee turned up but wasn't allowed to race yeah that's right yeah he turned up and, and basically wasn't past fit by the MotoGP doctors not not also not past fit for this weekend coming up at Jerez as well we should say okay. so John will have to wait for the one after that so yeah I mean he's been trying to you know we've kept hearing it would be the next race the next race the next race haven't we and fortunately this it's obviously serious injury vertebrae you don't want to take chances and i think the medical team they, they viewed we know this year they're gonna they're a lot stricter on everything mark marquez also mentioned this after his accident that you you brought up earlier harry that when he got back to the pit lane the doctor was firing questions at him you know what gear were you in what corner were you in you know all these kind of things and he said look in indonesia i couldn't answer immediately but here i could and, and so they are a lot stricter mark said that and this is another example of that with john where they you know, they didn't just say jump up and down and do some press ups. They wanted to see the scans, everything else. And they said, look, we don't think the bone is healed enough. And, um, you know, you just need a bit more time. So that's why he wasn't allowed to race. So, yeah, he he was missing. But as you say, Scott Ogden, fantastic, uh, you know, weekend for him showing what he could do. I think he was up to sixth in the race at one stage 
Um, his teammate Jer um, Josh Watley got through to qualifying two as well, didn't he? I think so. Both of them fantastic, but taking advantage of the uh, should we say English weather a bit, weren't, weren't they in uh, <laughs> in qualifying? But yeah, you know, another step, another you know, building that confidence, and you know, they know they can do it. They know they can compete with these guys now. So I think Josh Watley, Watley going through qualifying one was a big deal. Getting into qualifying two, you know, only four riders go through, and he did a good job as, as far as that was concerned. But Scott Ogden made a step. I mean, he was up there. It was ahead of Foggia for so long. I mean, it was a really good ride from Scott Ogden early on in that race. He will have learned so much from that. The experience of riding around those kind of guys. Further you move forward in the in the in the grid, mind you, they're all pretty pretty hot anyway, Moto Three. But when you're up in that top ten, like he was consistently and fighting for those places as well, I thought Scott Ogden. He's looking like the real deal to me. Uh, Vision Track Racing. Michael Lavity's team is, is a great little team anyway, but it's all brand new. Everything's brand new. This is the first year. This is the equivalent of, of you know, going back to, you know, Sepang International Circuit, the, the Patronus MotoGP team, when it was all put together within six months and came out of the, the box bang straight on, on the pace. This is the same thing in Moto3 for Vision Track, for Michael Lavity to put that team together in the short time he had. Two virtually unknown riders, as far as the Grand Prix is concerned, Josh Watley, you know, is riding well, but Scott Ogden is a step ahead. You know, he's looking really like a real deal Grand Prix rider uh, straight away out the box. So big ups to all of that team. I think they're doing a great job. Really, really good job. Indeed, top work. Well, at the end of all that, it was Sergio Garcia, who is now leading the championship. One point just between him and Dennis Foggia with uh, 82 points in second. Jamal Messia, third. Andrea Minu and Dennis Onju, uh, the top five in the Moto3 class. Now, Keith, rules are rules. <laughs> and as we look ahead uh, to uh, MotoGP and World Superbikes uh, racing at the weekend, just gone World Superbikes MotoGP back in action again straight away in Jerez. But of course, at the end of the month, uh, we go to Aston, which is where, of course, Superbikes has just raced. And there has been a little bit of controversy. Perhaps you'd like to paint the picture a little bit for us. Well, is there any um, part of a racetrack that's more iconic than the final chicane at Assen? I don't think there is anywhere in the world. I think it's the one we have seen so much drama, so much action. Let's go back a couple of years when Marky Marquez stuck it under Valentino Rossi. Rossi, was he touched? Was he not? Doesn't matter really, because all he did was just sat on the back wheel and gassed it through the sand pit. Like <laughs> just straight lined it, motocross style. Of course, motocross drive, you want to keep the throttle lit, otherwise you're going to be straight over in the in the sand. So straight through he went and and obviously beat Marquez to the line. Um little bit of you know furore behind the pit lane. Roll it forward to last weekend, this weekend, sorry, that's just gone. Um Avaro Batista has been penalized in my view for accuracy. He was millimeter perfect. The fat bit of the tire was on the on the on the track on the on the curb as far as i'm concerned it wasn't on the green yeah there's a little bit of the tire overhung the green if you like but the fact was he was millimeter perfect the the, the tall part of the tire which is in the middle of it was on the the curb i defy what i've seen so far that that any of it touched the green stuff now he got penalized a place yeah <laughs> okay it was rasgat the oglu who who gained a place where if you go back to Manny Core, he lost a place when the big controversy about Jonathan Ray um, pointing out that Rasgadi Oglu had gone across the green. And that was, he did. He went, he, he cut the corner. Now, that one for me as well <laughs> shouldn't have been penalised because it had no advantage at all. It, you know, it made no advantage and Jonathan passed him anyway, I think, the next corner. So, the, you know, but rules are rules again. We're back in the rules are rules. But I don't believe that Bautista touched the green. I think he's been unfairly penalised. And I think that we get to MotoGP later in Assen and they are going to be just as strict. I'm not sure whether whether World Superbike have the same systems as, as MotoGP. MotoGP have these sensors that are on the green. So if you touch it and set it off, you're done. I think that the World Superbike, I think are visual, aren't they? I don't think they do have the, the sensors like... Um, GP. I might I stand corrected and then folks at home you can you can now swear at the screen and send me your comments regarding that but I think visually um, Bautista was hard done by for accuracy he was 
millimetre perfect. He'd ridden good all weekend and to have a place taken away from him. As much as I'm a big fan of Top Rack, um, I think Top Rack was lucky to have gained that place. And then we go to the other controversy, down the other end of the track. You know, how many times, how many times have we seen a rider that's run a little bit deep, comes back to the line and comes together with those that have gone for the gap underneath him, as Jonathan Ray did? You know, no right. it's racing incident as far as I'm concerned. I don't think anybody should be penalised. But there's the, the there's two arguments here. Top Rack should have been aware that as been run wide, someone is going to go for the hole in the middle that he's just left there. So he should know that coming back down to the line, there's probably going to be somebody that's underneath him. But you can argue Jonathan will also know that Top Rack's going to square it off and look to hit the apex that Jonathan is now on. So it's probably why it ended up being a, a tit for tat, you know, racing incident situation. But we see it all the time. Was it Danny Pedrosa at Jerez that, that came down and wiped out the Ducatis? Um, you know, massive crash. With John, he'd run wide, pulled it back down, and, and base over apex, everybody had gone up the street because he'd gone back for the gap and there was already somebody in him. We see it all the time. It's absolutely natural. If, if someone's run wide, you're going to go for that gap as Jonathan did. But if someone's run wide, you also know that the man who's run wide is going to look to square it off and come straight back to the apex to try and get the run on the, on the next little straight. Racing incident, but still a mess. How can you make rules for that, Harry? You I don't can't. know. How can you, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all the, the Bautista thing with the, with the track limits. I know that some people might say, well, look, you know, why didn't he just give a bit more leeway? But this is what these guys do. This is what guys like Keith do. They push the limits to the very edge. I, I went to that very chicane a few years back. They altered the curbing there or something. So on the Thursday before the, the TT weekend began, went down to have a look at it as as you do, you know, because as Keith says, you know it's going to be a, a big action point of the weekend. Uh, Dobby happened to be down there and uh, you, you have a bit of a chat and he pointed out, and this is the details that the guys like Keith and his top racers notice. He said, look at the white line, you know, where they paint the white line on the edge of the track. It wasn't actually right on the edge of the track. There was still about another two or three centimetres of sort of, of tarmac on the other side of it. You know, this is the kind of details that racers look at. So he's looking at going, you know, I can actually run over that line a little bit, can I? And there's still going to be a bit of track underneath me. This is the kind of, of, of limits and, and things that people are looking for. So Bautista, that's exactly what he was doing. He's running it right to the millimetre of that curb. And as Keith says, if you're doing it visually, I mean, I, I don't know how you could possibly make a call, you know, when it's so precise to that degree, as Bautista, he tweeted the picture, hasn't he? I mean, it's, I don't know, if, it, if it's just a visual thing, it's very, very difficult to call. I think penalised for being accurate. You're right, Pete. All the, you go around on a Thursday, for instance, the, the, the sighting apps, you can't do them on a scooter anymore because they were banned because it was two silly sods got caught up and, and had another crash. There was always crashes on scooters around there on a Thursday. So they're banned now. So all you can do is walk or run the race. I'm a walker, by the way. <laughs> but you would always check the inside curb as much as the outside curbs now. You know, where the overbanding is, where, where is there a gap between the... the the ripple strip blocks and the actual tarmac is there overbanding between the two which you sometimes get by that i mean you know a strip of liquid tarmac that they fill the gap in between the two and where the paint is the paint really just covers it over a little bit sometimes so there are places to and plus paint they use now quite often is grippier than the actual tarmac so you get a launch off it on the inside curve i mean if you're looking through the inside mark marquez used you know, I remember he was the first guy that I ever noticed that used like hellish amounts of inside curb, really looked at getting drive off the inside curb. Whereas in the old days, it was like shiny Dulux and all you got was wheel spin. Once you got on there, you, you, would, you were, you know, out of it, really. I mean, even if it was, if it was dry, I mean, if it's wet, it used to be even worse. So, you know, that's, that's grippy, that paint. So the likes of Davizioso, I talked about him earlier on, he's the man of accuracy. He's a, an intelligent guy. He will have looked at all of that stuff, you know, as all riders do. That Thursday is the best day if you're a journalist to, to, to catch up with first-hand information. Walk that track a few times during the daytime and you'll always catch up with people that are out there with their team bosses. With the, you know, I mean, the amount of times I've caught up with, with techs that are out there trying to work out where there may be an advantage for them to offer their riders something different as well. It's quite interesting how much of a collaboration it is 
with all the team personnel. And they're all out on the racetrack on the Thursday having a good old nose at all these things. And trying not to give away too much to all the other teams that are wandering around, which is quite funny. Or the journos that are that are wandering around, especially the journos that, their noses that in. might be able to interpret what they're talking about. So we're all out <laughs> on a Thursday <laughs> trying to um, fool everyone else. Quite funny, really. Well, it's uh, it was certainly a, an action-packed weekend, certainly on, on two wheels. Uh, so uh, if you want to stay abreast of all the uh, latest World Superbike news as well, you can, of course, do that on Crash.net. Bautista, who leads uh, in the standings at the moment, 109 points to Ray uh, with 91. Razgatlioglu is third ahead of Locatelli. And former MotoGP man Ika Laquona into the top five. Got a podium at the weekend as well. Come on, Ika. Nice to see him doing well. I'll tell you what. Uh, how good is it at the moment, Harry, for Hondas? I mean, Honda, Glenn Irwin absolutely pissed the British Superbike round early on. I do excuse my language. I, I get excited. So he absolutely <laughs> blitzed the um, the BSB at uh, Silverstone on that horrible little short track, the national track. Won all three of the races. You know, Honda are flying at the moment. Ike Laquona, you're quite, he was your man, wasn't he? You've always been banged. Ike I've always been a firm there. supporter of Laquona. Thought he'd got done over in last year in MotoGP. So I'm he very did. happy to see him up there. Yeah, he did. You were right. Mm. Sympathy well, doesn't uh, go anywhere in motorbike racing, by the way, Harry. We don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good on. We'll get. I need. Well, the West. I think we should try and get Laquona on. I think we'll try and make that happen um, for all the Spanish fans we have of this podcast. Uh, right. Well, that's uh, some of the stuff uh, that happened, of course, this weekend. But uh, no rest for the wicked, really, because we're back once again, just a couple of days uh, in Jerez, in Spain, aren't we, uh, for another round for MotoGP? Uh, Keith. Well. Take us round Jerez. What do you like about it? What you don't like about One it? One of my favourite racetracks, I've got to say. The um, Come On You Crazy Diamond, when they used to play that on the way in in the morning as the sun came up and 200,000 people absolutely came like ants over the hills, no matter what the weather was or anything. It was just an outstanding venue. Um, great racetrack. I mean, they even ran Formula One round there, which is it seems a bit small for the likes of Formula One, perhaps, but a great motorcycle racetrack. And those last few corners down to the down to the hairpin are just spectacular. Um, you know, whether you go there for a test or whether you go there for, for full blown, I mean, you've got to go to a ref. It's another one of them ones. Andalusia, anyway, is a is a great region in Spain. Um, it's beautiful. It's warm. You know, like you're you're near the beach. What can, what more can I say? It's a it's a it's a great place to be. It's easy to get at. You know, you've got a nice drive if you're going to drive from from up country if you're going to come from Malaga or somewhere like that you can do it easy in three hours and it's a nice three-hour drive um, or you can get off at Gibraltar if you fancy you know going and seeing the rock you can fly into Gibraltar and then go across the border into Spain providing the Spanish aren't having a go at the British at that particular point in time that, that usually gets a bit tricky but anyway um, so it's one of those situations where you you, you, you should be doing Jerez it's a classic it's the Spanish Grand Prix um, great viewing balconies and, and sort of amphitheatres as well. And, and plus the fact that, that, that the atmosphere, again, <laughs> do you know what? It's funny, isn't it? How old am I? And yet all the hairs on my arms are starting to go on end just when I start talking about a bloody racetrack. I mean, I'm never going to grow out of this. Aren't I? Even when I'm dead, I'm going to be bloody still excited about it. It's, uh, huh. it's a great place to be. Um, it's a great racetrack. And... Again, we are going to see the likes of those corner speed kite merchants. Quattararo and co. are going to go good there. The Yamaha is, is going to go good there. The Suzuki is going to go good there. Um, and I think really Portugal has set us up really well for Jerez. I think that you know Mia is going to be somewhere on it. Quattararo is going to definitely be there. But if you remember, you go back to Jerez, you know, Bangaya was looking really good there on the Ducati just a couple of years ago. You know, he looked really, really good. So... You can't rule them all out. The thing I love about MotoGP is it's so close. Everybody's talking about whinging and moaning about thousands of a second that they're losing here and there, whether it be rear grip, front grip, middle grip, whatever it is. It's it's because everything is so tight, so close at the end of the day. Will the Aprilia perform there this time around again? I mean, you know, qualifying is going to be key here as well. You're going to need to get that qualifying done. You do not don't want to get caught up in a in a first lap melee if you can so maybe Suzuki are just coming good at the time they need to it's a real traditional track isn't it I know I know the European season has started with Portimao but Portimao is very much a modern circuit isn't it it's got all these you know modern safety standards and everything else Jerez in places is a bit is a bit short of runoff and we've spoken before about the, the reasons with the bikes getting ever quicker 
you know that it's 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 a very small track physically it's very small especially if you come from say when it used to be the first european round of the season you come from overseas events testing in sepang huge circuit qatar huge circuit and then you come to jerez and this small you know in the in the valleys in between the sort of rocky hills isn't it and, and there's this small sort of ribbon of of tarmac and uh yeah very different track as he says you know, top speeds is not gonna barely they think i think they barely touch top gear around there there's there's two straights the main straight if you call it that and then a bit of a back straight as well leading to what's now danny pedroza corner yeah well it was danny pedroza's uh, corner where he had all those guys off wasn't it that's exactly what i was going to say so yeah we could expect some action there from from, from the f1 days harry it's the same corner where uh, villeneuve and schumacher collided mm. during their title fight that's now the Danny Pedroza hairpin so that'll be the main overtaking spot again even for the bikes as well so yeah I mean what, how do we predict well we're going to try aren't we but it's so difficult we've had so many Bagnaia was very fast even at the as he said Ducati went well last year they went well in last November's test as well they were they were on fantastic form but you know yet they come here still with Bagnaia looking for a podium I mean it's Weather really makes a difference at Jerez. It depends on just what that track temperature, where that is, what window it's in. Quite often you find that the early tests or the late ones, as you were talking about there, the track is quite a bit cooler and they've got real performance out of the tyres there. You know, the time of the year we're going, it's going to start warming up a bit there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether whether that has any bearing on, on who does what where. And, and there will be a, a test on the Monday, the, the sort of an in-season test. So that's a big you know an important moment for teams like honda and ducati i mean all of them of course they need testing but certainly guys that maybe feel they didn't get everything done with their new bikes should we say during the winter this is the, a big chance for them on the monday so it's going to be a big weekend and a, and a busy one um so yeah you've got guys as we say luckily well ralph fernandez we should say missed obviously last weekend's race but he should be back for this weekend but certainly you wouldn't want to pick up an injury it's this compressed schedule that we spoke about previously with all these races you know potentially you could not only miss a race you could miss a test as well people might think well what a one-day test but seven hours of track time that's what do you get in a grand prix weekend about four hours probably so it's the chance for some really serious running when you get these day of testing it's so valuable to them that well, they're going to be keeping their fingers crossed, as Keith says, about the weather, for one thing. I mean, let, let's hope they get good weather for it. But, yeah, big, big important moment there. And, and I suppose also on testing, if we bring up Aprilia, they're now one podium away from losing concessions after Aleish's uh, performance. So they, uh, I think testing is the one thing that disappears straight away. So if, if Aleish gets on the podium uh, this weekend, or Maverick, they won't be able to do private testing. Doesn't affect official testing, of course, but they'll be basically under the same rules as all the others, right from the moment they get this last concession point that they need to get to six. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, it's well, you've got to believe Aprilia are going to do it. I mean, with with the, they've had two podiums already. Obviously, they had another one at Silverstone last year. The, the points are added up over a period of two years. So uh, you've got to believe Aprilia will be out of concessions this year. Well, that brings us on nicely to our predictions actually no before we do our predictions i'm assuming we all caught jorge lorenzo in the porsche super cup action at the weekend no I, no i, I um Silence. my colleague at crash lewis lewis did send me a picture of uh, of lorenzo on the grid so yes and and you did uh, you did alert me to it as well I harry <laughs> so. i think i sent you both a text message right before the weekend <laughs> lorenzo's in the super cup yeah, uh, that was uh, all the you can catch up on uh, on the socials or channels. Good to see two another two wheeler going into four wheels. Um, but uh, he was at the back. It's tough to to adapt. I think in that championship. Anyway, predictions, please. Uh, Keith, come on then. Cough them up. Whoa. You're in the lead, by the way, with five points. Pete yeah. is currently in second in one, and I'm yet to get off the mark still. Well, I mean, I'd love to claim it's um, my superior knowledge and so on and so forth, but you know damn well it's not. It's just bloody luck um, because MotoGP is so tight. Um, I have this burning desire to have a double Suzuki podium this weekend. Why did you want that, Harry? You can't, yes, but you go first. Go on. Well, we can always have the same. same we, can, we, can. Like. we can, we can, we can. No, we can, we can. But I Go just, I, I, it has to be Quattararo and two Suzukis for me. I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw the, the caution. Um, Anaya Bastianini. I quite fancied Anaya Bastianini as well as, as, as being on there. I'll tell you what. I'll put. I'll, 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 I'll go three ways. Then I'll go 
Quattraro for the win. Mir for second place and Anaya for third place. I'll leave you one Suzuki. You can, you can play with that if you like. <laughs> You're too kind. All right, well, then. Quattraro, Mir, Bastianini. Lock that in. Pete, what you got? Quattraro for the win as well. I think it's not a top speed track. We saw what he did last Sunday. So I think it's different. And of course, he was leading last year, wasn't he? Comfortably until he had this arm pump problem. So that was what sort of cost him the win there. But I mean, he was he was looking strong last year as well. So and then going back to the previous year, he won both of those 2020 season openers. So yeah, it, it's hard to see beyond Quattraro. If he can win in Portimao, I think uh, he's got to be the favourite for this weekend. Uh, I, I will go Bastianini second. I think that uh, the GP21 goes well there. Obviously, the wrist, I don't know. He, he didn't seem too troubled by it during the race. So I think he, again, especially if it's hot, as Keith says, the grip levels could be lower if it's a lot hot, hotter temperatures. So things like the tyre wear will become more important. And we know how good he is with that. So, And, you know, I'm going to go Aleish third. I'll go Aleish on the Aprilia third and uh, finish the concessions, shall we say, there and then. Yeah, solid, solid. Well, I'm going to go for a Suzuki win. I'm going to go for redemption for Joanne Mir. Uh, finished fifth there last year, and I feel he's strong amongst the Suzukis. Well, they're both strong, aren't they? But uh, Mir is my winner. And I'm going to go for Quartararo, second, I think. And you know what? I wanted to put Aleish third as well. So I'm just going to copy on that one. I'm going to put Aleish third. Because when he came last year, he came sixth last year. So, you know, strong form around there. Uh, or maybe I should put Rins first. Because <laughs> I used to be indecisive, but I'm not sure now. Uh, no, I'm going to leave that. Mir, Quattarara and Aleish. So at least we've got all sorts of slightly different ones. Well... Those are our predictions. Let us know yours, as ever, in the comments below. Um, some people do get them spot on. We do read them. So, you know, keep sending them in in the in the uh, comments section below uh, and wherever you uh, listen or watch us as well. Always a pleasure to have your company. Um, but I think that just about does it. Just a couple of days until Haref, gents, and we'll be right back here. So my thanks, as always, to Pete McLaren and Keith Hewen. Uh, I've been Harry Benjamin. Make sure you stay tuned in across Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week. And then, as I just said, we'll be back with you next week to look back at all things Jerez. Get your questions in, leave them in the comments section or tweet Instagram, Facebook us, just search Crash MotoGP. Leave us a review if you can as well, wherever you get your podcasts and we shall see you right back here next week. Bye-bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.